Welcome to the second edition of the Broken Bones Oddcast podcast. I've always liked the idea of snow at Christmas. The way it deadens sounds and bathes everything in an ethereal light seems very apt for a time of year that is, by nature, very other. People are nicer to each other too when it comes to snow, especially in places that aren't accustomed to it. This week we'll hear the story of Arno Way, who doesn't like Christmas or snow, and of his shocking find on his way home from the shops. I give you Three Steps Behind. Three Steps Behind by Tony Hazel, read by Saul Reichlin. Snow had come early and heavily this year. It started about a week ago and hadn't really stopped. And so it was that on Christmas Eve, Arno Way found himself trudging through the drifts on the dreary, run-down streets of the hilly seaside town he called home. He hated Christmas shopping and only did the absolute minimum at the last possible minute in order to satisfy his very limited obligations. Both his parents were dead and he had never married or had children. The only people he felt he needed to buy presents for were his brother's kids. They were at the age where Christmas still felt magical so he didn't really mind spending a few quid on them. Arno thought back warmly to his own childhood. He remembered the trouble his parents had gone to on Christmas Eve, the stockings full of presents carefully left at the foot of the bed, the notes to Santa burnt, smoke up the chimney, a carrot for Rudolph, the mince pie and tumbler of whiskey left as payment for Santa's fleeting visit. A recent dump of snow had made driving hazardous, so he parked his car closer to the top of the hill rather than attempt to get down the steep gradient into town. There were enough abandoned cars on the streets as it was. He didn't need to add his to the cluttered curbs. A few hours later, night was falling, and it started snowing heavily once again. Arno turned his back on the Christmas lights and sounds of the shops, and struggled up the hill, laden with the gifts he'd spent the afternoon buying. The sudden flurry and freezing wind cleared the streets, and Arno found himself cresting the hill alone. It was then that he spotted something through the blizzard. Ahead of him was one of the town's bridges crossing the turbulent gorge, separating the old town in the east from the new development in the west. The bridge was of Victorian construction, originally painted corporation blue. Rust now pockmarked the cast-iron lattices forming the railings. White lampposts punctuated the barrier, holding dim lights aloft. The protective glass cracked and uncared for. Around one lamppost, still in possession of a working bulb, near the centre of the bridge, Arna could make out the shape of something no, someone, climbing over the rail into harm's way. Arno stepped from the shadows and called out, Hey there, are you okay? The dark figure turned towards him. It was a woman, clinging to the post with only one hand. She was wildly inappropriately dressed for such a bitter and wind-swept evening. With no coat and wearing only a thin nightdress, she started to flap her free arm at him as if to wave him away. Arno took another step forward. The woman started shouting at him, Go back! 
Go away. What are you doing? You're going to fall. He took another few steps towards her. Go back. You don't know what you're doing. She was becoming more agitated. Arno stopped. Maybe he could reason with her. Let's talk about whatever it is. I'm sure I can help you. No one can help me. There's no more to be done. She looked away for a moment. Arno took a few steps closer to the distraught woman. Almost within touching distance, Arno stretched out a hand. He had a fingertip on the woman's arm when she suddenly snapped her head around and stared him straight in the eye. Arno had never seen a look like this before in any eye. Her pupils were coal-black and filled their sockets. A small tear of deep red blood began to trickle down her cheek. She snarled a thin-lipped grimace before shrieking at him, I warned you to stay away! Her bellow was such an unearthly howl, it stopped the blood in his veins. Anesthetized, he was frozen to the spot. The woman hissed at him and grabbed his wrist with both hands. Slipping from her perch, safety fell away from beneath her as she dangled above the tumultuous ravine. The grip she had on him was the only thing between life and certain death in the freezing waters below. Arno braced himself against the edge of the bridge, taking the strain. In an instant her expression changed. Suddenly a woman in her fifties, her life hanging by a thread, eyes no longer black and lifeless, looked back pitifully at him, mouthing, I'm sorry. She relaxed her grip on his wrists. At the moment she let go of his arm, Arno felt something pass between them. His lungs spasmed a puff of freezing air across his larynx. He recoiled as she receded into the darkness, onto the rocks, and down into the tumbling river below. Arno stood for a second. Had that really just happened? The heavy snow wiped clean traces of the woman's passage to the bridge, the raging river swept away any remaining evidence of her existence. He reached for his phone. Call the police, he stammered to himself. He dug down into the pocket he reserved solely for his phone. It wasn't there. Thinking back, he pictured himself leaving the house. He had been heading towards the door when his brother had called him to tell him they would be out through the day, but back around six that evening. He wanted to get the kids ready for bed nice and early, as it was always a struggle to get them to sleep on Christmas Eve. Suddenly, realizing how little time he had to do his Christmas shopping, Arno had gathered up his hat, coat, gloves and keys, and abruptly left the house, leaving his phone on the kitchen table. So busy had he been shopping that up until this moment he hadn't realized it was missing. Damn, he thought to himself. He looked around. He wasn't overly familiar with the eastern part of town. He only ever drove mindlessly through it on his way to the shops. I wonder if there's any pubs around here. It was properly dark now, and the shops would all be closed for the holidays. A pub might be the quickest place to go to, to alert the police. He went to search for the nearest one, but then remembered he didn't have his stupid phone. Looking around, there was little sign of life. 
This bit of town mostly comprised of industrial units and greasy spoons that closed early on a workday, let alone on Christmas Eve. He thought about investigating his surroundings further, but reasoned it would be quicker if he made his way back to the car and headed straight to his brother's. Picking up the gifts, he hurried as fast as he could through the mounting piles of snow. Once he reached the car, he opened the boot and put the presents in. He took off his coat and gave it a good shake to dislodge the icy dandruff that settled on his shoulders. He threw it on top of everything else, slamming the lid shut. He climbed into his freezing car and started the engine. Setting the heater to maximum, he moved to turn the wipers on. Looking up, he realized there was no way they would clear the amount of snow on the windscreen, so, leaving the engine running, he got out and used his gloved hands to clear what he could from the windows. Working his way around the vehicle, he eventually got back to the driver's door and was just about to get in when he noticed an extra set of prints in the snow. That's odd, he thought. It was difficult to tell what had made them, as he had trodden over the top of them, he assumed maybe a dog. I don't remember seeing a dog running around here. He looked again, and such a big dog. He stopped to ponder a moment, until the bitter chill got the better of him, and he slid back into the freezing driver's seat. His car was quite old, and it hated cold weather. On frosty mornings, he was never quite sure if it would go at all, so he was very pleased it started at the first time of asking, especially now when he'd really needed it to. As the engine idled, he sniffed at the air. What was that awful smell? He sniffed again. A foul stench was slowly filling his car. He opened the window. It must have been five below outside, but the smell was so bad he tolerated the cold momentarily. There must be something on the industrial estate, he mused. Finally he was ready to set off for his brother's house, a drive that would normally take him no more than ten minutes from where he'd parked. But now, with conditions as they were, he'd already been driving for fifteen and wasn't even halfway there yet. He pulled up at the set of red traffic lights that always seemed to catch him. He thought about the woman. Her eyes were just so odd, and the sudden change in her character so weird. It had taken up to this point for Arno to really appreciate how strange the encounter had been. He shuddered slightly at the thought of it. However, it was not the thought of the poor dead woman that made the hackles on Arno's neck stand on end. It was the sensation of warm, moist breath blowing about his ears that made him clench. Arno spun around in his seat and clutched at the back of his neck. Was there something there? The dog from earlier. Perhaps it had jumped into the car while he was clearing the snow. He felt for his phone again. Bugger! He reached for the inside light and tried to switch it on. Bloody thing, he muttered. He kept meaning to get it fixed, but never seemed to find the time. Besides, he always carried his phone. The torch was usually good enough. The traffic light cycled through red to amber to green, 
and Arno decided it wasn't a massive surprise that he might be a bit spooked, considering the events of the evening so far. Pulling away, he made for his brothers. Fifteen minutes later, Arno arrived at the festive front door. The snow had picked up in intensity, as had the wind, which scoured the street before him. Racing around to the boot of the car, Arno opened it and grabbed the unwrapped presents. Slamming the hatch shut, he ran up the path and rang the doorbell. After a short pause, the hall light came on, and a man in his late thirties answered. Arno pushed his way past and made his way into the warm. Arno's brother was used to being shoved around by his younger sibling. He was about to close the front door when he hesitated for an instant. Shut the door, it's freezing. Sorry, he replied. I thought I saw something. Well, I saw something tonight that's left me properly shaken, I can tell you. But before I tell you, you need to shut the front door, and I need to borrow your phone. Arno's brother pointed to the phone in the hall. Arno sat down at the table it rested on, and very deliberately stabbed out 999 on the keypad. Forty minutes later, Arno places the receiver back in its holster. All the while, his brother has been listening intently. Bloody hell, that was a bit off. Are the police coming round? he asks. Yes, as soon as they can. When's that? It's Christmas Eve, you tell me. Arno stands and stretches. Can I use the bathroom, bruv? I'm busting. Sure, you know where it is. Arno's brother sniffs the air. And you might want to check your shoes. Smells like you've trodden in something horrible. Arno finishes his piss and zips up. He washes his hands in the sink and splashes his face with warm water. What a strange day he's having. Right next to the sink is a towel rail. He can feel its heat on his face as he dries his hands and dabs at his forehead on the light blue towel stretched over the radiator. He moves to check himself in the mirror. Whoops, forgot to flush. He turns and reaches for the chain and flushes. He spins back toward the mirror, except he doesn't get that far. On the light blue towel next to the damp marks where he dried himself, there are another set of unexpected marks. Arno claps a hand to his mouth. The marks on the towel are more like prints, huge wet paw prints. He takes a step backwards and notices the bath mat in front of him ruffle slightly. Taking another step, he sees the impression of a footprint appear in the pile of the mat. Grabbing the towel, he backs very slowly out of the bathroom and makes for the kitchen. His brother has wooden floors throughout his house, and with every backward step Arno makes, he can hear the sound of another footfall, three steps behind him. He continues to walk down the passageway. The footsteps follow. Trip, trap, trip, trap. Occasionally he gets a strong whiff of something horrible, something rotting, something putrid, something dead. Just as he crosses the kitchen, the children find him. Uncle Arno, Uncle Arno, it's nearly Christmas. They jump up and down on the spot in front of him, waving their arms about, as children do. Arno looks over their heads directly and very intently at his brother. 
I need to have a word with you in private. Now! Arno's brother only has to take one look at Arno's face to know this is serious. Shall we go to my office? No, here. We must talk here. Okay. Children, your uncle and I need to have a word, so can you both go back into the front room and play for a bit, please? They both seem a bit deflated. Aww, they say in unison. Their shoulders slump a little. Now, please. Don't forget, Santa's watching. He points first to his eyes and then at them. They hop to attention and scamper out of the room. Arno's brother shuts the door. What is it? You look like you've seen a ghost. It's not a ghost. What do you mean, not a ghost? Is there something then? What is it? I don't know, bruv, but I think something's following me. Something vile and not very friendly. You know what I said about the woman's eyes and how they changed from dead to pitiful? It was as if something had decided suddenly to leave her. Whatever had been tormenting her suddenly relaxed its grip. In that moment, I felt something pass between us. Then this just happened. Arno holds the towel out in front of him. His brother takes a moment to work out what he's looking at. What have you done to that towel? Look at my hands, bruv. He holds them up before him. They are ever so slightly shaking. He presses one onto one of the marks. The mark is bigger and a completely different shape to his own hand. See, there's no way I could have made these marks. I think it was this thing, the thing that's following me. I can feel the stench of its breath on the back of my neck, and it's getting closer and closer. I can sense it starting to bear down on me. His brother was just about to speak when in burst the children. They were fighting over a pot of glitter they were using to decorate Christmas cards. It's my turn. No, it isn't. You've had your turn. Something has to give in the tug of war between them. It is the pot. The lid flies off and the contents land like a glitter grenade covering the entire kitchen floor. Arno snatches the towel away and looks at his brother. Get them out of here now! Arno shifts his body ever so slightly. Unnervingly, two steps behind him, the very clear outline of a foot appears, edged in glitter. Daddy, what's that? Arno's niece points at the track in the glitter. They all stare in silence at the footprint. Arno takes half a step forward, and the outline takes half a step toward Arno. Kids, front room, now! Arno's brother quickly ushers the children into the sitting room. They both start to cry. He shouts, Stay here! and slams the door shut behind him. He turns to his brother and says, I don't know what's going on, but whatever it is, I don't want the kids involved. You need to leave. Now, go home. I'll try to find someone to look after the children and then come over, okay? But right now, you need to be somewhere else. Arno doesn't feel very much like being on his own with the thing that's stalking him, but he realizes he can't stay here. He turns for the front door. His brother stares in horror as Arno is followed by what are clearly two footprints walking their way through the glitter a little less than two steps behind him. With a backward glance at his brother, Arno gathers all his courage, lifts a hand to the lock, 
flips it open and takes a step outside into the night. It's stopped snowing for the moment. Arno makes the short distance from the house to his car in record time. He dives in and slams the door shut. Rubbing a small circle of condensation from the window, he peers through the watery smear. The footprints are there, in the snow behind him. At least they is not still in the house, he thinks to himself. They seem to stop slightly short of the car. Quickly he reaches round and feels for his seatbelt. Maybe he's beaten it into the car. Fumbling for the belt, he takes another look outside. Yes, they definitely look like they didn't reach this far. He grabs the belt and plunges the tongue into the buckle. He turns the ignition. A deep, heavy, pungent breath tickles the nape of his neck. Not daring to look round, his head sinks, turtle-like, into his shoulders. He frantically fumbles to start the car. Panicking, Arno puts his foot flat to the floor. The car careers toward the other side of the road, skidding on the ice and snow. Gone now is any idea of going home. He must just get away. Arno drives through abandoned streets, weaving this way and that. He checks the rearview mirror. Two red eyes stare back at him. A ravening jaw pants clouds of rancid breath into the chill. It's so close now. Arno's head is almost pressing on the steering wheel. He can feel its hands at his shoulder, foul saliva running down his neck, dripping into his shirt. It's snowing again. Arno can drive no more. Skidding to a halt, he crashes into a line of abandoned cars. His door is jammed, bent by the crash. His shoulder barges it and turns to kick it open, so desperate is he to get out. The door gives way and he falls out into the freezing street. Struggling to get to his feet and slipping on the snow, Arno is doing his best to run, but the beast at his back is pushing him down, enveloping him, its arms around his waist, licking his ear. Vile breath blinding his senses. It is upon him. His eyes blacken as it enters his body and starts to feast. Blindly staggering on, Arno finds himself at the cast-iron bridge with the corporation blue iron lattice and dimly lit lampposts. Below, the river rages on unabated. Reaching the railing, he clambers over the ironwork and into harm's way. There's still a bit of Arno the beast has not yet devoured. With the last of his humanity, he resolves to take the monster with him over the edge, smashing them both onto the rocks below. Arno clambers desperately over the edge. Through the heavy snowfall steps the figure of a man. He waves at Arno. Arno doesn't see him. The man advances, Arno clutches at the metalwork with one hand and is just about to let go when he spots the rapidly advancing stranger. The little bit left of Arno Way frantically waves him back. The man calls out, Hey there, are you okay? This has been a Two Kittens audio presentation. The narrator is played by Saul Reichlin. Tony is played by Tony Hazel and Sarah by Sarah Powell. 
The Town and Three Steps Behind is copyright Tony Hazel. This recording is copyright 2019 Two Kittens Publishing. For further details, please contact info at two-kittens-publishing.co.uk.